Your property podcast comes to you with thanks to our friends at Trafalgar Square Finance, leading independent specialists in mortgages and all types of property finance. Whether it's buy-to-let, development or bridging finance, Trafalgar Square can help you organise your funding for your next property project. Exclusively to listeners of Your Property Podcast, Trafalgar Square offer a free one-to-one consultation. So whether you are a portfolio landlord looking to raise funds on your existing portfolio, or if you're just starting out and want to find out if you are eligible for a buy-to-let mortgage, Trafalgar Square Finance can help. It's easy to book with one of their experienced consultants by simply visiting yourpropertynetwork.co.uk forward slash finance. You can find this link in the show notes for more details. Hello and welcome back to Your Property Podcast. Uh, my name is Michelle Cairns and with me today I've got Jackie Tomes. Tomes like Holmes. Hey That's Jackie. Right. Hey Michelle, lovely to be with you. Absolutely, love to, lovely to have you on and uh, we have worked together before on a couple of our webinars, so our free web classes for our community. So um, many of you might have seen Jackie before or, um, or attended one of those web classes, um, but if not, just to give you a little flavour and we can dive into this um, during the podcast, but Jackie has spoken on over 200 property events, is a world record holding public speaker which I have to say is a bit of a mouthful. Thanks for that, Jackie. No problem. <laughs> uh, featured multiple times in YPN magazine and is has been featured in two Amazon number one best-selling books. Um, my favourite part of her bio is she's developed the holiday every six weeks lifestyle, which we're going to talk about. And um, Jackie has, you know, she's created business strategies for over two, over 100 property businesses. Here, here to share how you can focus, raise finance and do more deals. So basically, we're going to be talking about raising private finance, among lots of other things. Uh, but for those of you who are listening to this and not watching it on the uh, YouTube channel, then you won't be able to see Jackie's flowing hair and, you know, the the glowingness of the heat that it seems to be in Thailand. So this is part of your holiday every six weeks. I'm not being funny, Jackie, but um, you always seem to be on holiday when I speak to you. So are you sure it's every six weeks? <laughs> to be fair, we travel a lot more than that. But for us, it's more like the every six weeks, we basically stop wherever we are and we just don't, we don't work for a week and we will not, you know, not do meetings and just be like fully, yeah, switched off from the business basically. But that doesn't okay. mean we don't travel a lot more than that, basically. Well, this is interesting because I was been trying to explain because I've been on uh, a workation for a month and everyone comes back. Oh, oh, my God. You know, so lucky holiday for a, month. A, a holiday for a month. Well, no, I didn't mention holiday. Holiday for me is where you don't work. Right. So what you're talking about is uh, you work and then every six weeks you don't work. And that's the holiday. But you, when you're working, you just happen to be in a different country that is um, has very nice weather. Right. Exactly. Yeah. Go where the weather is good, basically. Keep following the, the tilting axis of the yeah. globe. 
to find the good weather um yeah and that, I guess that's one kind of a bit of a mission to be like what, how can we be in the best places around the world at the best time for the weather there um so yeah and then maybe a life's mission alongside other things but yeah to be able to it's great fun being able to just work while you're traveling in different locations um, and just being in different places and different vibes is great and then yeah just you know just changing up the vibe every six weeks to just be fully focused on exploring an area rather than you know just living life in different locations yeah well how do you find that with there's no routine right because you're in a different place and it's often new places so you still need the routine of work but you don't know where you're going to be where you're going to be so how does that work with internet and um, logistics so I am pretty good at planning like diary wise so it does take quite a lot of planning to make it all work well and just not be like working at really inconvenient times because obviously now we're currently like seven eight hours ahead of the UK so the normal schedule just doesn't really work so we are basically I, my meeting hours shift slightly earlier over slightly more days and for a shorter period of time so normally I only do meetings on really a um, a Tuesday and a Wednesday sometimes a Thursday in quite a like a block of like four or five hours at a time on those days um and then the other days around that are quite sacrosanct in terms of like yeah I might be not working or I might be working on just stuff where I want to lose myself and not have to think about time so when I'm in other countries like this yeah it's just about saying okay I'm gonna have to work probably do some meetings on more days to make it work but then really by the time it's time for meetings it's like quite late in in the day here so you actually get quite a nice long morning and you can do other stuff beforehand so the kind of there is still a routine it's just really the routine just kind of shifts in hours when there's a big time zone difference that's the main thing yeah you're like batching things together and mm -hmm. um you know how does it work with systems in place so you know when you're um obviously you're not in the UK so but everything you know whether whether in UK or not doesn't really matter these days because everything's just done online um but are there any particular systems that help you to have this flexibility I think probably things like as boring as it is like the post <laughs> like how you deal with your post coming in is um an important one so we have a virtual office which receives all of our post and that gets scanned in and then emailed to us so it all can get received virtually um that's a really important part of it um and then things I like, like that one what's that what what's the what do you use a well, not quite a lot of them like quite often like accountancy firms will do it oh, yeah. we've just got one that's local to us where we are in um in margate um so westgate um and it's just like like a business center basically oh, so okay. sometimes accountants do it or like if you've got um uh, you know like a we work type I don't know if we work do it but it's kind of like a PO box kind of thing but without the PO box um, label on it so um, yeah there's quite a lot of them so you just got to find somewhere that looks remotely like where you're from so it just doesn't look totally yes. random <laughs> that's a good point yeah <laughs> PO box Thailand <laughs> yes exactly um, so, <laughs> so we have had some people like turn up because it's our it's our like office address basically but our offices right. aren't based there we have had people like turn up there in the past being like I want to see these guys it's like well they're, they're not actually here this is just like basically where their post comes to um so that's a really boring but very important one and then things like being able to like use your phone as a scanner these days to be able to print off a document sign it if you have to do a wet signature which is ridiculous how often you still have to do those these days but then to be able to sign whatever mortgage documentation that requires a wet signature 
being able to post it back is obviously less convenient, but a lot of them, you know, are fine with stuff being scanned in for various parts of it. So tiny scanner on the phone is really important. And normally we travel around also with like a little mini printer <laughs> so we can like print off stuff no matter where we are as well. Um, so it's kind of like uh, probably the paperwork stuff I feel is quite a big barrier for a lot of people in being more free range from a location perspective. Yeah, it sounds, um, oh, it sounds like you've got it nailed. So, uh, and easier than easier than people might think so. definitely I think it like it just forces you to do it because I think it's so easy to say oh well I can't travel more because of these things but we just never let it be an excuse we're always just like okay so it's not I can't it's how and like if you just put your mind to it and you force yourself to the other side of the world for an extended period of time you just find a way to make it work like you find someone locally who can go and pick something up for you and maybe it might cost a bit more but that's just the cost of being able to live the life that you probably started you know got started in property for in the first place anyway well yeah that brings me on let's let's weave this in because obviously your specialism is, is in raising private finance and for a lot of people they might be listening to this thinking well it's it's okay for Jackie because you know she can she's kind of built the portfolio and 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 got the funds to be able to um basically not have the day job because for a lot of people who want to you know travel and uh or you know have this flexible lifestyle where they might want a holiday every six weeks then the day job is what stops them so uh, you've obviously transitioned out of that into full-time property and into teaching other people how to raise private finance so for people who want to get out of the day job um some people start with like rent to rent etc but for, for, or rent to essay for a lot of people they just create another job for themselves on top of a full-time job um whereas I know a lot of people and and I've I've done this myself where I've gone down the working with joint ventures and the private finance route so where you are buying your the properties rather than the rent to rent and the rent to rents are great because they certainly um gave me extra cash in order to eventually leave the day job but for me personally it was very slow <laughs> um so and, and it was very chaotic at the beginning because I was I, I, you know I had these two jobs essentially going on but tell us about raising private finance in order to build the portfolio and then buy back your time Mm. I think I say with you, I, I kind of see both sides of this in terms of like build the portfolio first or, you know, get something more higher cash flowing, easier route to buying property, not buying property, but doing property deals like with rent to rent and things. And I think they both have their place. So I'm not necessarily saying that it is necessarily the best way to do it. It was just the way that we did it. Um, so for us, the, pri the private finance thing was kind of like, I want to have a portfolio. So therefore, my main barrier to building the portfolio is not having enough money to do it. So for me, if I can solve that problem, then ultimately, that unlocks the whole thing uh, to be able to do enough deals to, to get the cash flow that we needed to be able to live life. It's definitely slower in terms of like, you know, especially because we're doing single lets. So you've got to, you've got to get volume of properties to really get it up to a certain level. And for us, we're very, we were very good at being very, um, yeah, I guess frugal in those early days of building the portfolio. I didn't need 20 grand a month to leave my job. Um, you, you know, it, there were much, much smaller numbers. So therefore, it didn't have to be a huge number of deals, like 10 deals was enough for me to actually have the freedom to go, I don't need to do that job anymore, um, and then have more time for property. Um, so that's just kind of context for it. But 
yeah coming back to the private finance for us it was initially like friends and family who'd seen us do one deal um, and we'd got like a bit of a case study that we could use and saying you know do you want to do this with us basically like you're you know you've got some money that's not really doing anything we could do all the work and you could put in the money and we could go and do some of these together and that's kind of how it started and then it's had to professionalize since then as we've you know gone out to property networking events and met other partners who have then come on board either as jv partners or as people who have been loaning us money and it's kind of grown from there the kind of learnings about how you build that rapport and relationship with people and choose the right partners um to be able to get that whole thing working um but a very big part of that for us has been that when it's gone well, it's because we've been really clear about what it is we're doing in property. And when it's gone, I'm going to say badly, by, by badly, I mean wasted a heck of a lot of time, not getting very far very quickly, was when we were really scattergun in our approach to what we were doing in property. And every time we focused in and been like, at first it was single lets, this is what we're doing, buying flats and renovating them. And then we moved on to buying blocks of flats and focused on just renovating blocks of flats. Like every time we've just been really focused it gets a lot easier to help to explain to potential investors what it is that they're actually potentially getting involved in and to be able to put across what the numbers are and how it actually works because it's it's virtually the same every time yeah and do you uh did you start out with doing joint ventures or was it always uh, private loans like uh, mm. standard loans our, our preference is joint ventures it always has been um I know that most people prefer loans like that's the way that yeah. I, people normally go because obviously when you're doing joint ventures you you give away a, a good chunk of the the pie basically for us 50 50s yeah. our standard approach but for us it's been and it's been overall better like we're we're like I would say like a medium attitude to risk like I'm not a big risk taker and I think the money that gets left in deals or the potential for money to be left in deals was for us the biggest risk and actually if we could set it up with a JV partner where it's like a long-term portfolio build as long as the money that's left in is returning well enough there's no problem with there being money left in because what I've seen subsequently in helping other people with their strategies is quite often people who are scaling up purely with loans the money that gets left in is exited through the cash flow on the deals which essentially could kill the cash flow on the deal for three to five or more years and if you're doing it for more cash flow it doesn't actually solve the cash flow problem whereas with joint ventures you you solve that problem it's like that's just part of how things are set up that there will be money left in it will return at a certain amount that's part of our criteria for working together and as soon as it's rented we're splitting the cash flow so even though i'm ultimately giving away a heck of a lot more it's a good value proposition for an investor but it's also overcomes one of our main concerns and drivers which is short-term cash flow so it's kind of a bit of a you have to kind of flip it on its head a little bit to kind of get your head around why we've done it Okay, so your investors, do they uh, buy cash and then leave the full amount in and essentially become the mortgage hosts? Or do you refinance and then they get some money back, but they're just leaving a deposit money in? We refinance. So we, we generally do buy with a mortgage upfront just because like the mechanics of how hard the, it makes the capital that the investor's putting in, it just makes it return so much better mm -hmm. from the project. So for us, it's like the project phase is that phase where you're going through refurbishment before like doing up all the properties and then you refinance it and then you're sort of in the more ongoing rental phase. In that project phase, you, you comparatively to how much money you can put in 
if you are buying with a mortgage, how much you uplift the value by is substantial. So it really hikes up the ROI for the investor in those early days. And then obviously after refinance, the same thing then happens again when you release the value that's been created through that work, which then means that the money that's left in returns a lot higher. So for us, it always just comes down to what's the ROI on the on the funds that are being used and to get those within metrics that ultimately work really well for the investor and often buying in cash unless it's a you know it's a deal that's particularly great because of the speed that you can use with cash ultimately for us just the way that we engineer the deals to maximize value to the investor just makes that work work best and how does that because um typically it's more difficult to uh work with a joint venture partner when you're getting a mortgage early on so when you're buying with a mortgage is it is it just a specific lender that is happy with having a joint venture arrangement because that's not normally um possible so i i think it's actually a lot easier than with loans because with a joint venture partner the way that we do it is we set up a company with that jv partner so it's a new vehicle that we're going to build a portfolio in so it's very clear which parties are involved and then if you approach a bank with that vehicle to say can you lend us some money yeah that right okay that, so you buy it with the company actually, right yeah you buy it with okay. the company if you're doing um other arrangements where like, that's what for us the loan thing you we can do it but there is a much smaller pool of lenders if you want yeah, to be able right. to borrow the deposit so in a way it actually overcomes that was another okay. challenge that we all go through right like how do you find lenders that are happy with that and it's true there's not a lot that are happy with that so therefore again for us joint ventures it just is another benefit for us overcoming that yeah okay that's uh that's encouraging to hear i didn't know it was um as uh as as flexible as that so that's good and transitioning then from friends and family to other investors in your network you know how did that transition work it was a real learning curve to be honest with you like it was it i remember when i first heard about working with investors i was like oh my god like this is like the best thing since sliced bread like yeah, it was saving yeah. up the money that was like my limiting factor it took me like 18 months to like scrape together the deposit for like this like 100k ish property so it was like slow um and yeah then I started hearing about working with investors and I was like oh my god this is amazing and then I started going to networking events and telling people that I was you know, looking for investors and like quite a lot of people were like that's interesting like I'd invest with you and at this point I hadn't done much you know like we're in the like single digit number of deals done um, and people were like yeah I'd invest with you and I was like damn well that's easy ticking the box done um but then actually uh, someone's saying that they're interested and actually doing it were two very different things and I think that was then our next kind of learning curve is how to find which people say they're interested versus which ones are genuinely interested um, and which ones are genuinely interested based on what you can actually deliver, which then comes back to the point that I said before about what is it that you're doing? And, you know, like many people, we initially started with single lets, but we got very distracted trying to do all these shiny, more exciting things like HMOs or whatever else. And therefore I, we were doing so many different or trying to do so many different types of um, strategies it wasn't clear what the investors were buying into it wasn't clear enough to make deal flow easy it wasn't clear to what the returns were going to be like it was just it was chaotic and so therefore because we weren't clear investors weren't clear and that made that initial process a lot harder so that was one thing that we learned was just having to be 
really specific about what it was that we were doing and what that meant to the investor in terms of what it, we could actually deliver. That was one side. The other side was how you don't just meet someone one time and they transfer money to your to do a deal like it's it's a relationship like it's that's why it's quite nice to start with friends and family because you've built that trust and rapport over many years and it's you know it's it's good and probably maybe not so much with family but definitely friends you're going to be probably values matched in terms of how you behave like there's quite a lot of benefits to it as long as you are setting it up well and you know treating it professionally because that can be the downside with friends and family you don't want to mess that up but um yeah how do you then build that relationship with new people and that was part of us developing our pipeline process to how we get to know people how they get to know us what information to give at various points in the process so it's not nothing so that someone doesn't know what you do and it's not everything so that they're overwhelmed with information and basically be like review your massive investor pack is like another task on their already massive to-do list so just basically yeah breaking it down and using things like like the fca regulation uh you know about doing promotions around um pooled investment schemes is like a massive thing for people so we it was for us at first as well when that came in we were like what does this mean what can we say what can we not say but actually when we got into it and we started to think about this journey to investing with someone actually the fca process actually fits really nicely like it's the questions that you should be should you want to ask anyway and so it was just like breaking down the stages and that alongside a clear model that was the big learning of that phase from friends and family to non-friends and family and in terms of the deal so um you am I right in thinking now you've kind of refined exactly what type of deal that you are looking for and then you go to the investors and say would you be interested in this type of deal or do you actually have live deals that are sitting there on right move that you can say okay this is the one we want who's in so because we're so specific about what sort of deals that we do really we we don't need live deals to show to investors to get them on board because it's like we buy a block of flats this is the, the price is between here and here we uplift it by this the rents are this and that means the returns are this so you can use case study examples as part of that process to deciding to work together when we have decided to work together we we sign what's called heads of terms which is basically laying out that framework for how we're going to work together and only at that point would we then go and present a deal to an investor but as long as the deal fits the criteria that's laid out in that heads of terms it's it's not really a question of do you want to do this deal it's really here's the deal that we found that we're going to do together are you right. all good it's really just a, a sense it's just a check if someone were to say no to a deal at that point that would that's you know it hasn't it's happened once since we started doing this overall process and it's because someone's situation changed substantially so it was kind of different um but yeah if someone said no at that point that's completely in conflict with everything that we've set up to that point so it'd be quite a big going back on your word red flag for us um at that point if someone were to say no so um did i answer your question yeah, michelle was, I on a yeah. tangent following your story so in terms of the for you know if going back on their word is there actually a commitment fee that they pay so that they would lose out if they actually said no is that part of the arrangement yeah we have we haven't done that so much with our recent joint ventures but we did do it at one point but really kind of got to the point that it's like this was 
this was process enough for us to to feel comfortable but yeah it's definitely something that you can do and indeed we have done um yeah the way. once you've once you've got the relationship and you've got that trust then um, you don't really need it like yeah. that's you know someone's someone's word and signing and agreeing stuff like it's a it's a, it's a commitment already to have gone through that and people want to do it you know they've, they've got money that they want to invest and as long yeah. as you deliver on what you've agreed you're going to do in terms of the, the deal that you find like why would they say no like as, unless they're again their circumstances change which you know does happen but as long as that's like the exception not the rule yeah we we, we found that these days it's, it's not necessary because we've already built that relationship uh, one of the most common questions we get is what comes first the deal or the money so what do you think <laughs> i think by a margin of a slitherine, the investor. But that, I guess what the important caveat to that is that doesn't mean that you wait to have the money to start sourcing because it takes time to find deals and for deals to become deals. Because really, you know, generally if something first comes to the market, it's generally the motivation is not there straight away to accept a, a price that's going to actually work. So you've got to pipeline it and follow up and wait for it to become a deal. So you've got to make sure you're doing that already so that when you get that agreement, there's not a massive lag to then finding a deal because you don't want money just sitting there like there's a cost to that. So really the answer is you do both at the same time, but we would never get an offer accepted without having clarity on where those funds are coming from. Doesn't mean we wouldn't put offers in, but they would not be offers that we accept, expected to be accepted. It's more an offer to find out more information about what offer would be acceptable and to move the, that, the deal side of it forwards. But we wouldn't aggressively negotiate on something to our max offer price until we are 100%, or I guess let's say 99% confident that the money's there. And when you're working with agents then, or even, even owners directly, uh, do you, are you upfront from the very beginning to say I'm not buying this on my own I'm working with investors um, yeah. and are the agents okay with that yeah I think if you're not upfront straight away I think it makes you come across cagey but I think you know it's people are just as impressed if you can do it with investors like it's just as valid and actually more exciting because you know there's a limit to how much money one person can have but if you are able to harness the power of other people's money they're going to love you even more you're going to have to prove that you can do it <laughs> but i would you know even if um even if you are using your own money for your first deals i would still be talking to the agents about the fact that you work with investors like set that up from the very beginning so yeah we're very transparent about about that and i think as long as you are really you do it with confidence and volition everyone's like oh okay well this person's clearly got their shit together <laughs> and i think sometimes it helps because it separates you from the deal as well so you can say okay i need to go and check with my investor on that i'll you know i'll be back in a couple of days <laughs> it just buys yeah. you a bit more time absolutely and oh i like business partners particularly for us with like jv partners what well, do any of them can be business partners really it's like it's not just some random person it's someone who i am in business with you know true true and do you just work with a handful of investors that you like let's say under five that you just you know go out and find more deals with and you know that they've got x amount of money to be able to work with them longer term or is it just one investor per deal how does that arrangement work um so no we have probably 25 30 investors in total wow. um some people are investing much smaller amounts of money um, and some are larger. The smaller amounts of money. Larger. 
Uh, so yeah, good question. So smaller would be like 50 grand, larger would be 500 to a million. Um, and generally the smaller pots of money, like we can't make a joint venture work on 50 grand or even a hundred grand. Like it has to be a larger sum of money to make that work. We'll talk about that in a second if you want. Um, but yeah, so it's like a, there's a pool of investors. Our ideal is when working with a JV partner, it's like there's one JV partner per deal so we kind of have a, a few a small number of jv partnerships maybe five or six j main jv partnerships um and those guys are we ideally like we find one deal and it comes to that partnership we have had some where you're like okay well that that amount of money is not quite enough for that deal but we've got like a you know a few different partnerships and it's kind of like a jigsaw puzzle you're out looking and you see what's available and so for example um we did a deal where it was a block of 13 flats but it was actually a block of seven and a block of six so we split the title on purchase and one jv partnership bought one and one jv partnership bought the other to make the funds that were available work um and sometimes it might be that a jv partner is a little bit short on the amount of money that is a that they have available we don't want to not be able to do that deal because of that so then we would basically broker in some funds from one of our other investment partners to make it viable for that partnership to be able to do the deal right okay um i, uh, I like the idea of splitting the titles and having different joint ventures on on these sides okay and so managing 25 investors i guess some of them are just parked like there must be a percentage that you know they're just ticking over now you've done all the hard work and the money's kind of coming in yes. and then how many live projects do you have at any one time yeah so because our projects are quite big we're buying blocks of flats so it's like there's not that many individual projects there's quite a lot of combined right. flats all in one time and one go so like the recent ones have been like 10 10 or 13 flats in a block um that's like the general um so yeah there'd only be like two or three live projects at any one time going through um and but yeah there's some of the other like the the investors with smaller sums of money generally they're just like just go and get on with it some of them might be on like three-year agreements with us that we're just going and making that money work some of them are getting paid their their funds rolled up at the end of projects so it is more project specific some people are more paid money on a monthly basis it's more of a investing into whatever deals are kind of going on situation um so yeah i mean it we have like a we have like a monthly update that goes out to our investors and tells them how like what's going on with our bigger partnerships we have quarterly um meetings generally particularly those who are in like live projects um to tell them how it's going but generally they're they're hands off because that like that's why they work with us they want to just let us get on with it and they're just happy to know you know that when their money's getting paid sometimes stuff overruns like off the back of that um uh, when the Liz Trust budget made all the chaos in the markets, that made quite a bit of impact to some of our projects and just the time frames. So, for example, one project with a really good interest rate on it, three and a half percent or something, like on a block of flats, it was a really good rate. And then we're looking at refinancing it. I can't remember what the number was. Maybe it was six or something at the time. And we just looked at refinancing it and we were like, this is crazy. Like, we, we've got this, this is a five year rate that we'd agreed. We're like, it seems stupid to get rid of that rate. So then we're just, you know, we, renegotiated with some of our investors to extend the terms some investors did want their funds back sooner so we swapped in other investors and agreed longer terms with them um so sometimes stuff does change and you know we'll just have conversations um with investors when that occurs and as long as you 
yeah as long as you communicate people are very open to doing stuff as long as they get their, their good interest and they're getting paid good money <laughs> well, that's it. I mean how do you find it at the moment you know with the interest rates having risen uh surely they must be similar to what the investors were getting previously so are you considering doing more mortgage hosting so not going with the traditional bank and just keeping the you know the investor on as the as the main yeah I guess it's like it if it's about that hypothesis of where rates are going and things as well and for us we kind of like that initial project phase that we have is like 12 to 18 months from buying um, and we you know refurbish all the flats but there are people living in them so it's like a logistical moving people out and doing stuff up so it's, it's quite a process um so for us it's kind of like weighing up where we think rates are going to be where rents are going to be and so we'll often have like a few different varied options for like you know ideally rates will go up and come down again by the time we come back to it so actually that would be fine to work but maybe it's good to have a bit of second charge lending with someone who's slightly higher rate but it makes the overall deal work so yeah we're always kind of playing around with what because it's just like you know one one deal can provide such varying levels of returns based on how you engineer the whole thing so yeah we are very even though we only have one model, we're very creative within that specific deal, how we can structure it to get the best returns overall. And what's next? I mean, you're just planning on carrying on forever. <laughs> where does it, it where does um, it end? Where does it end? It's um yeah, we've been going for 10 years now since the first deal. And our vision that we set out was 100 homes in 100 locations. And um, yeah, obviously, we're like scratching the surface of that, basically. And I'm we're trying to become less uh, rigid in how we think about things like Dave and I have done a lot of personal development over the last few years and realized how hard we've made the, the journey for ourselves. Like, we're lucky we've, you know, lucky it's, you know, we've achieved good stuff, like, and we're happy with where we are. But it has been a bit of a graft and a grind and not very enjoyable at various points because of how we've approached it we're like this is how it should be you know too rigid in our planning so we're trying to be more open-minded um, with how we achieve end results so in my mind when we said 100 homes in 100 locations it was we will then go and find a new area and we will start again and we will set up a new team we will analyze it and we will do it this way and um, actually alongside doing property we've been mentoring other people we um we help people to to raise finance to choose their strategy and to scale up their businesses and like it's just been it's been small like it's a small thing that we've done alongside investing in property because Dave and I just feel like very called to do it it's been a real yeah something bigger that we don't truly really understand really calls us to do it and um it's funny because recently we've suddenly looked around and gone actually got all these amazing people that we've been working with for years are doing amazing things and they're all in different locations across the UK maybe it's not us who goes and sets up in all these different locations maybe yeah. it's about how we bring together the, the the investors and the people that we've mentored who are using our same processes and systems and we've seen how they overcome challenges um, and we feel really confident in them and you know shifting more to investing with with others and being yeah the person who makes all of that happen rather than the person who's doing the deals so yeah we're kind of in a bit of a transition phase at the moment just being open to what presents itself and obviously the interest rates have changed the dynamic a lot as well 
in terms of the deals that we were doing, it's a lot harder. Like the, you know, we're getting the capital values to work really well on deals, but the cash flow isn't there. So it just really narrows the pool of available deals. So it's kind of like that is more challenging at the moment anyway. So it's kind of like maybe it's more challenging because maybe that's the end of should be the end of that phase or it, it tails off and a new door kind of opens. Um and we really love like training others. Like it's it's really fulfilling to see people grow and and it's not just property like it's property, but it's business and more and more fast more spirituality and stuff as well, being able to help people with that. So yeah, I that that's the best guess I can give you right now. <laughs> well Jackie, I could be here all day talking to you about all these different things. Uh we'll have to do a part two at some point. <laughs> yes, I love it. Uh, I'm, I'm conscious of time so uh, where can people find out more about what you're up to and I know we've got our free web classes so people contact can contact us about those uh, but what, if you you know is it you're more on Instagram or Facebook or where can people find Facebook, you? Facebook and Instagram mainly not so much on LinkedIn so yeah you can connect with me Jackie Tomes um, just add me as a friend um, you can find out more about me uh, on my website which is property-strategy.com um, yeah, we'll have to put the links to the next um, online strategy sessions that we're running uh, in partnership, uh, Michelle. Uh, I'm not sure when this one will go out, but we've got one coming up uh, in January. Um, so that'll be a nice one to, you know, thinking about strategy for 2024. Um, and there'll be other ones that we'll plan down the line as well. So, um, yeah, so connect with me on social media. Check out um, us on the website and I'll, I'll give some other links in the um, in the show notes as well if anyone wants to find out more. Right then, well, look forward to seeing what happens next with you. Take care for now. Thanks, Michelle. Bye for now. Thanks, Jackie. And for anyone who is not yet a subscriber to the YPM magazine, click the link in the show notes for your free 30 day trial. See you next time, guys. Bye.